Welcome to The Dangerous Leader, where we invite leaders to share their best experiences thriving in a world that expects them to conform so that you can thrive too. Hello there, Dr. Jennifer Murphy here, along with Logan Schultz in the producer box today. Whoa! So Logan, hey. question, when you think about the impact you want to have on the world, what would you say? That's like the hardest question you could have possibly <laughs> asked me. Because that's, I think about it all the time, mm-hmm. right? That's a, that's a motivating factor for me is absolutely creating impact, impacting people, you know, leaving things better than when I found it, Yep. you know, and maybe that's the nonprofit background in me, Sure. Um, but measurable impact, that's a tough thing to, to set down, you mm-hmm. know, um, but I think that I get, I get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing people succeed within something that I helped facilitate. Yeah. You know, this show is a perfect example. Sure. Right. I, I get, I've, I've watched you grow as a creator and as a person and as an interviewer, just since we started this process with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. That's measurable impact to me. So if I can continue to grow some of those things, if I can continue to help other people find success, I think that's, that's really exciting. That is perfect because that is exactly what our guest today talks about. In addition to being the creator of the Art of Living Dangerously leadership model, I am also ruthlessly focused on helping other people succeed. So you and I get to share that quality. And so does today's guest. Today, I've got Nick Ford on the show. He is managing partner with Top Rank, which is an executive search firm focused on diversity and cultural consulting. And we dig into what that really means. Because Nick is going to talk with us about his experience as a diversity recruiter here in his home state of Iowa after an extensive career in the Navy, and how that evolved into cultural building for the companies in our ecosystem. Nick is a veteran, and we got to do this interview on the eve of Veterans Day, which was super special to me that that worked out that way. I also really, really love and admire Nick's investment and really legacy in the entrepreneurial side of our ecosystem, and we get to touch on that a little bit. With that, I bring you the latest episode of the Dangerous Leader Podcast, and my guest, Nick Ford, who I love to see as a gentle giant. Welcome, Nick. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. You were definitely on my list of original candidates. I just was like, who do I want to talk to? Who do I know has great stories and really just a a pretty rich experience? And you've done some pretty crazy things in your career. So um, so let's start with tell me tell me where you are now, what you're doing now. And then we'll kind of back into how would you get there? (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah. Thanks for for having me on the show. Uh, Managing partner of Top Rank, where we started a company about almost five years ago now. Uh, really started as recruiting, moved into consulting, mm-hmm. uh, culture facilitation, culture assessments without necessarily using surveys. Yeah. Uh, what we found is we found, kind of get a little head on you a little bit yeah, why, no, how good. we got here, but you know we started recruiting and we found focusing on diversity. Um, that we found focusing on diversity recruiting. Recruiting, yeah. yeah. Okay. At the executive level mainly. Yeah. And what we found is a lot of the clients that we were reaching out to or reached out to us really weren't ready to have a diverse talent. They weren't welcoming. They weren't supportive, whatever reasons. Yeah. So we really knew that we had to help with the culture for those those organizations. And, yeah. and um, so we kind of, we still do the recruiting stuff as well, but it, 
kind of also do a lot of the consulting side. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys were almost, a, you're a little bit before your time even with some of that work because, um, to, you know, 27, 2018, you guys start, if I'm doing my math right, which public math is not my strength, but, you know, 2017, 2018, you get started with that. And then it was really like 2020 was when the big headlines flew up and where we really started hearing about it in mainstream conversation on a consistent basis. But we've known that there is a, especially here in the Midwest and Iowa in particular, we've known that at the executive leadership level, there's a challenge. There's a shortfall when it comes to it moving away from, you know, the middle class white guy kind of, of paradigm to hiring other people. So how, tell me how you discovered that was a problem. Like you said, you know, welcoming support, that kind of stuff. But yeah. what were some of the indicators that you were I mean, We always kind of knew it was, a, I mean, it's always, it's a, it's yeah. a, not just a national, it's a global problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, more so, I think, even in our nation than many yeah. others. And then more so even in Iowa. I mean, we're yeah. we're still in the 90th percentile range for yeah. for population of, of white in the state. Um, but what we see a lot, it, it's amazing. We see so many weird things. You see, like, companies that tout diversity. Mm-hmm. And they've got a pretty diverse entry-level positioning. Right. But then you start working your way up, and you see less women. You see less veterans, disabled folks. You see uh, less less people of color, whether it's black, brown, you know, mm-hmm. um, just different. You know, yeah. it just it starts really tapering off pretty quick as you get into leadership. Yeah. And our whole thought, even with the recruiting side, was that's why we focused really on on managers was the people making the hiring decisions. I mean, everyone knows there's bias in the hiring process. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more likely to hire someone that looks like me. Right. Without even mm-hmm. thinking about it. Now, we don't call it unconscious by on our side because in our mind, it's a conscious decision to let stay unconscious. But right. But, uh, you know, we uh, we know there's ways to fight that, and some of that is making those decision makers look different. You know, there's studies out there that, you know, even on the interviews, if you interview, you know, out of four people and, and two of them are women or one of them are women, that the likelihood of them getting hired are a lot lower than if three or four, you know, mm-hmm. if more. So and it works in all the different diversity groups. Yeah. Um, you know, so so really our, our goal was to try to hit it at that level. Yeah. Um, as far as knowing they're not ready, and we've known for a long time, and we yeah. knew when we started it was a struggle here. It's kind of why we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it was kind of funny, you, had, you know, all COVID here, and, and we were kind of like, oh, my God, how is this going to affect our business? Right. And then, unfortunately, the events that happened, like, in 2020, um, we saw a pretty big uptake on our side. But you were right. We saw a lot of other people entering the space. Yeah. And, you know, we always feel pretty proud that we were already in the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then my partners and I, we, and we've been doing this work even before we formed a company. So right. Yeah. Yeah. It was always important to us. Yeah. So how did you personally get interested in the work kind of from a, cause it would have been very easy for you being in your position. You are a, you're, you're a veteran, which we'll get into. You're a white male. You're in the dominant narrative group within the state. You could have very easily just turned your cheek. So why did you feel committed to this uh, personally? You know, there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, I was raised to, to think yeah. differently, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and grew up having friends of all different types and um, and understanding as best I could what they were going through in their families and really had good conversations. Yeah. Um, and then I joined the military and I meet my wife and she's a special ed teacher and some pretty hard areas, you know, Hampton, Newport News area, mm-hmm. uh, New York, up and up New York and... Yeah. And, uh, you know, you see that some of the kids she's dealing with and the, and the educators around her. Yeah. 
And even when I went overseas in the Navy, I mean, you know, it's funny. Everyone always says, you know, the ship pulls in, everyone goes to the first bar. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's probably fairly, yeah. fair, pretty good yeah. analogy of it. Um, but I wouldn't. I'd try to get out and immerse myself in the culture and see how yeah. different people leave. So I've always had an interest in it. Okay. Um, but yet nuclear power still paid the bills, you know. Um, so when I came back here to work at Dwayne Arnold uh, for about three years, um, kind of decided I liked retirement better mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> needed a break from, from that. And uh, I lasted a few months. My wife came home one day and said, yeah, nice try. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I had to do so something. So knowing your wife, I can see yeah. that conversation. Yep. It was a pretty, it was a pretty one way conversation. I started to start with a but, uh, and then that was about as far as I got. Yeah. Um, and so, if y'all could see Nick, he is physically a large man. He's tall. He's 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 built. He's a large man, and his wife is not a super large woman. No, no. <laughs> so but, but she's in charge. The so. visual is amazing. Yeah, she was in charge for that one. Um, and you know, but she supported me because I mean, there were yeah. times when she needed breaks from teaching, and mm-hmm. I supported you know her decisions and so we've always been like that yeah. you know but she knew that I was done with what I was doing so we talked about what we're gonna do next and I was like well I've always wanted to finish my degree my older boy at the time was a uh, uh, coming up on a senior year in high school and didn't think about college mm. uh, even though he was division one athlete level mm. um, and his always response was well you made six figures you didn't finish your degree uh, I'm like oh, uh, that's a fair point yeah. I mean I did kind of work my way up to that well, military yeah. for 21 years, but, but you're right. Yeah. Um, so I kind of always wanted to get it too. And, and so I went back to, to co here and, and got my business degree. And during that time, trying to think of what I wanted to do and kind of started a couple of companies up, you know, some did well. Okay. Some struggled. Um, didn't pick a couple of small projects to start with. Um, but was, was on a good path there. Yeah. Um, and then my friend Anthony, who's also my partner, and, and we grew up kind of together. He was a year behind me in high school. Yeah. And um, oh, I did not realize you all had known each other for oh, that yeah, long. Yeah. That's that's really cool. Yeah, and we were yeah. a little bit different circles back then. Sure. But but um, yeah. plus he was a little younger. And yeah. Um, but I, but you know I'd always kind of when we back kept in touch, and I knew he wasn't really excited about what he was still doing, and and I just kind of out of the blue said, hey, you know, I, I, I want to do something with Anthony and. Mm-hmm. Focus on his experience recruiting and some of my leadership stuff I've done and some of his activism stuff and leadership and yeah. and so we we think a lot alike on things not 100 percent but sure um, which is is good which is good I mean to highlight yeah, you yeah. know you don't want to have necessarily carbon copies of yourself you want to be able to develop right. through that conflict right of With, without being too different I mean yeah. we we we've, we've had some instances where we're not him and I but other folks were apart quite a bit and yeah and um. You know, in philosophy, and you know, at least the philosophy is the same. Sure, we might have different ways of getting there sometimes, or different ideas, and yeah. sometimes his are better, sometimes mine are, sometimes we compromise, but it yeah. works. But and, you can uh, have the conversation. That's where the power. That's the is. that's the key is we can have the conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, and not go away with hurt feelings for a month and <laughs> things crumble. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so you know, we had Anthony uh, and I kind of I talked to him about the idea, and of course he was like, "Well, boy, it's a paycheck. I don't know if I can take that right away. Jump off this, you know, the, the cliff." And another one uh, individual that that knew us kind of had the similar idea, kind of at the same time. Mentioned Anthony. Anthony's like, "Well, two people have this idea. Right? What am I doing?" So we kind of went to Buffalo Wild Wings and had a few beers and wrote some stuff on some napkins and started our company and. Um, eventually, we end up uh, buying out the other two of our partners mm-hmm. just because we wanted to go a little bit different direction. Um, and, you know, it worked out well, and I think it worked out well for them as well. So, mm-hmm. um, and then actually, our first placement ever, Joy Briscoe, yeah. uh, Joy Briscoe Salas up in Waterloo, 
we placed her at Cedar Rapids School. Uh, she ended up going to Waterloo, and you, as soon as she left Waterloo, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd known she was looking because we want you know come right. back. So yeah. we brought her in this last uh, about a year ago now yeah. um, to be our third partner. Yeah, and uh, which we really like. She's a she's another disabled veteran, and mm-hmm. she's amazing, and, and she's amazing. Yeah. She is she really is truly, truly amazing. Truly amazing. Um, <laughs> so you know, which again brings a different a little different dynamic, but yeah, um, it's also kind of nice having an odd number. Yeah. So you don't get the one here, here, and here, and you know, yeah. and she thinks a little differently too, and but yet with the same philosophy. Yeah. Um, and then we met some folks out in DC. They're actually gonna be our first podcast uh, nice. guest, Veritas, uh, Chris Armstrong. I had kind mm-hmm. of followed a Chris Anthony, kind of followed. He started. They started a little bit before we did, but focused on the cultural side, the facilitation side, and they're actually certifiers in the facilitation method. And uh, if anyone gets a chance, go look at Chris Armstrong and LinkedIn. His posts are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, these conversations he's having and, and, uh, you know, listening to understand concept and it just clicked with us. It really did. You know, we, we had kind of started doing some survey stuff and we were, our hearts weren't in the surveys, you know, it's amazing in our country. I mean, I understand the importance of data and, and I, I personally am a data type person. Right. Historically. I mean, nuclear power, you can't not be, um, but people and are, are not, they're not data. Right. And we keep treating people like data. Mm-hmm. Instead of using data to help support people, yeah. Um, so that it really just clicked with us, and we really enjoyed that. And I'm excited about next week when they fly up. We're actually having them come up here from DC, and they're in Jordan now, yeah. doing some fun stuff. But um, you know, we'll be here for a couple of days. And uh, like us, you know, we start off when when we moved in the culture side. It was a, a black man and a white man. They're the mm-hmm. same thing. Oh. Um, similar likes music. Uh, you know, he, I mean, Vince is a is a pretty famous uh, DJ actually out oh. in the East Coast. Um, Chris is a very big music lover like Anthony mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're going to see how they are at basketball when they get here. So <laughs> they, they both tell me they're good. So we'll see. We're going to my parents' house. We're going to play a little hoops. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm a lot of shape, so I'm a little nervous, but cause they're, they're a little bit younger than I am. Um, but, but you know, that it's, it's that. And it just, we just click with them. It's, you know, we went down there with them and got certified mm-hmm. instead of doing it on online and, and met with them a lot and hung out with them. And, and, you know, it's like family. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way Joy Anthony and I are. It's like family, yeah. which to me is incredible. I mean, I watched my dad build his business, his his big success finally with Perfect Game, and it was a family organization for a long time. Yeah, and uh, even the non blood family, it was family. Yeah, and uh, I just think it's kind of neat to do something similar. Yeah, and so you bring up, you brought this up, and I wanted to ask you about this anyway. That family legacy of entrepreneurship that you have in your family is—it's really powerful here in the area. I mean, such a footprint that your family has created in this area. How do you feel like that influenced you when it was that decision to unretire and go? So and- <laughs> it's funny, you know, when he when he. St- I mean, growing up, he had, had you know roofing businesses, and I was, yeah. one was a softball magazine, a lot of different things that, yeah. for some reason or another, didn't quite work out. It was never due to his work ethic, that's for sure. Yeah, um, for my father, and um, you know, it, it was always amazing. You know, we grew up without a lot of money, um, probably poorer than I even know to this day. Um, it never felt like it, mm-hmm. you know. And and I, I mentioned this, I think, a couple of weeks ago at a group I was with, and. Um, you know, even not having anything or a pot to piss and so to speak, yeah. that he'd still, you know, my mom and dad would give their shirt off their back to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, now they do have the funds and availability to help people, and they do. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the entrepreneur side, um, you know, it's funny. When I was in the Navy, he'd call me. He's like, hey, what do you think of a gadget to do this? 
I'm like, yeah, we kind of have that already in the Navy. But, but, so he was but trying to solve we, Navy but we problems went, Well, no, just, just general. You oh, know, okay. things like, like uh, I remember one idea we were talking about was like an oil purifier. Like, you know, everyone gets oil changed to their cars. Like, how could you hook a device up and just run it through and recycle oh, it? Oh, yeah, we have that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and we have something like it for, yeah. for our equipment. Um, it wasn't portable, but there was stuff like that. Right. And it, but it was a neat. We actually looked at it and talked about it. And mm-hmm. I remember doing that. And um, But when he started Perfect Game, I mean, the... You know, I was I was just I was still in Navy, new new son, uh, going to RBI, trying to play basketball at the same time, the nuclear power program up there, and um, just not able to do it at the time. Yeah. And I kind of wish I had in retrospect, but I mean, the first five years, he's, he'll be the first one to tell you they should have went out of business. Yeah, and all so of a sudden, me, tell, they, well, tell they pivoted. Us, I mean, yeah, tell us what Perfect Game, how it started, and what it is now, just for anybody who's not. Yeah, familiar. so Perfect Game yeah. is the world's largest baseball scouting agency. Okay. They're they're international. They've held events overseas. I mean, they've mm-hmm. they started off uh, back in the early '90s. So uh, I played baseball up to a point and kind of focused on basketball. Um, very late bloomer as an athlete. I mean, mm-hmm. I went from I think I was like five six my sophomore year to like six five the next year. All right, now so I very need, I need to pause there yep. because my son is convinced he will never break five nine. So these are words of hope for him right now. <laughs> oh yes. Well, I mean, my 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 uh, my older boy is six seven. Yeah. My younger two are six foot. Yeah. But for a while, we weren't sure if one yeah. of them was going to get above about five six. And all of a sudden, even in yeah. college, he shot up. So, uh, so it's it's there's possible. Hope. There's possible. As a there's sophomore, possible. there is hope for you, Alexander. Not that he'll ever listen to this because he thinks I'm ridiculous. But either way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, they do. They start to think you're less ridiculous as they start getting older and have their yes. own kids. Oh, as I'm learning so with my son. I, ha- I have to break in with a story yeah. real quick because I will never forget this moment. My oldest stepson, when I was married to his dad, still, he turned 18 while we were still married and he moved out. It had been, I don't even, it wasn't more than a year. It was probably around six months. He kind of hit a wall and things were not going his way in life. And he came home. Um, He was still in Cedar Rapids, but he came back to our house and he was sitting on the couch and he had his head in his hands. And he goes, you guys are just not as stupid as I thought you were. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, victory is mine. But I do. I think we all go through that. So my my, my eldest boy, uh, as soon as his daughter was born, he's like, "Okay, I get it. Mm hmm. And my youngest one, who's had his own struggles off and on with things and, and now is doing really well, um, same thing. He's he's like, okay, Dad, I kind of understand. Yeah. Still learning. I mean, yeah. at that age, I was. I mean, <laughs> even though I was in the military and married when I was 20, I was still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, I'm still learning today. I so, was just going to say that. I'm still, um, yeah, every you know, day. <laughs> sometimes I'll get mad at one of my kids for something. I realize I just did the same thing last week. I'm oh, like, yeah. oh. oh. So. But when I did it, it was different. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. And I like them to learn from my mistakes, not yeah. make the same ones. Um, no, but, uh, but yeah, so anyway, so he, he, he pivoted about five years into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it just exploded. Yeah. Um, you know, my younger brother, he, he, he really started because another uniqueness to Iowa and a few schools, in the, a few, few uh, groups in the Midwest is uh, baseball is a summer sport because of the weather. And, uh, you know, unless someone had a really good junior year, by the time they're senior, if they have a good senior year, it's too late because it's after the draft. It's after college to do their scholarships. So like my bro- younger brother, um, who graduated high school in 93, had to go to junior college for a year to get drafted. And then he ended up having like a 12-year pro baseball career. Wow. But he had to go to a junior college. There wasn't any big college. And he was like 6'7 and could throw. I mean, yeah. he was throwing near 100 miles an hour already. and yeah. But just no exposure. Yeah. So he really started it as an indoor place for kids and I would get exposure. And it, it helped. He was getting mm-hmm. kids in there. 
but business-wise, it just wasn't enough. Yeah. And then he started doing events in Florida and Texas, and yeah. now they do an All-American game. Now they have, uh, I mean, they've raised millions for for kids' hospitals. Uh, they have mm-hmm. a foundation now that my sister runs, and um, and right now they're and even though he's sort of retired now, he's the, they moved. He's now the commissioner. He's sold most of his company and yeah. is still involved, but he's down in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, right now for an event, and he's going down for their second Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, the number of baseball players are, that have gone through their events that are in the pros are like 85, 90%. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's, it still yeah. blows my mind when I think about it. And he's so humble. I mean, yeah. you know, you say it's a footprint in Cedar Rapids, but he's kind of happy flying under the radar, I think. Yeah. Well, and that's what I would say is like that is something that until I met you, like yeah. I had heard of Perfect Game, but I didn't know anything yeah. else about it really until I met you. And you started kind of digging it. I was like, what? Because yeah. I, I got a whole slew of family back in California that are huge baseball fans. Yep. And so to know that and then have that connection, like I'm a little bit of a superstar now, to yeah. be honest. But <laughs> no, it's it's so, I mean, it's, but he's, he's so humble. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's so funny. My mom and dad, they, they, they drive everywhere. They're driving down there now. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to Florida, hopefully after the hurricane comes through. Yeah. Um, they drive everywhere. It's are they in a car? Or do they're they in a have car. Like a, no, they oh, drive. Wow. They drive. They drive everywhere. They get, when they were going out to the American game, they drive. They take three days. They go shop and they buy stuff on the way. I love it. Um, and uh, it, it's so much fun watching as as they're getting older. Like you know, now we're being able to relax and enjoy it too. Oh gosh, yeah. And um, but he's he's still very shy, very introverted until he starts talking about baseball or when he's with his buddies mm-hmm. or or watching the Lakers game with me. Then mm-hmm. you know he'll. But he's still very, very introverted in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. So you mentioned you have a brother. What, how about other siblings? Yep. So you? I have two brothers um, yeah. and a sister. Um, all have been in the baseball business. Okay. My brother played for a little bit and very, very much homebody. Came back here and kind of started the company up with my dad. Okay. Um, he's now since retired from it, doing some other things now. My sister runs the foundation. She grew up here. She ran a floral shop and was very heavy involved in charities out in New England. Yeah. Um, out in like Yale Children's Hospital, things like that. And, uh, you know, a pretty nice career of her own and then decided to do the foundation. She's just a natural at it. I mean, um, very, you know, very sincere, honest, you know, people, all of them and, and, um, very caring from the heart. Mm -hmm. And my sister's the same way. Just like my mom was when you were younger, shirt off the back to help someone. Yeah. That's, you know, I've, I hear you, I hear you, um, articulating that theme a lot even in your work just in conversations with you like I feel like when I talk with you you always have an eye toward how can I be of service I mean you and I went to a veterans event at ISU back in June I think it was Mm -hmm. um and you know immediately there was a guy there who had a child in a wheelchair who had developed an adaptable baseball player and you know so that the kids in wheelchairs who don't have mobility for all intents and purposes can still play baseball and you were immediately on your phone. How can I connect yeah. you with X, Y, and Z person? I mean, it was without a thought, without any consideration for how you're going to get back anything. And so that, you know, that love of other people and how to be of service, like for one, makes you such a natural recruiter and culture builder. <laughs> and like that, to me, that is such a natural connection. But if we back that up, so you mentioned Dwayne Arnold. <laughs> Yep. I know you've been in the service. Tell us a little bit about that because those two things to me don't seem to connect, but I think they do. So tell me how. Yeah. They so when I left high school here, I graduated here in '86, nineteen eighty-six, not eighteen eighty-six, <laughs> and uh, and um, 
I was pretty much done with school. Sure. And but yet I wanted to do something. And, and my dad asked me not too long ago, a couple of years ago. He's like, "Why did you actually join the Navy?" I'm like, well, "I don't really know. I just didn't feel like going to school and being a student. My parents weren't going to be able to afford. I mean, I would have had to work right. or do something." And um, I joined the nuclear power program. I went to a recruiter and I took this test. They're like, "Oh yeah, you, we, we went in this program." I'm like, "Okay." I was thinking like medic or something like that. No. And so I joined the program and I felt like I was in school for 21 years. That's a long, long education program. For yeah, people, it really is. It? It, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, just the program itself is two years. Okay. And then, but you're always training. You're always yeah. qualifying. You're always learning. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. I still sometimes like close my eyes and think of like a number I learned like for like a piece of information from like <laughs> in the 80s. And I'm like, why am I still remembering that? P- push it out. You are fighting. You're fighting any kind of dementia and Alzheimer's. That's what it is. That. Yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or promoting it. One or the other. It could be promoting it. Um, useless stuff in there. Um, but uh, so I did that. You know, I, I met my wife early on. I was um, God, I was just out of a school. So I was probably in about seven months. I met her at spring break in Daytona Beach. <laughs> Ideal place to meet someone. She was down there from Syracuse, and it was like love at first sight. Aww. Um, you know, and and I was actually struggling with the military at that point. I mean, you know, the authority part of it and the following the rules and the haircut and the shiny shoes. I was never a shiny shoe type of guy. I mean, I got by on it, but I, was, I worked hard, and I learned everything I could about it. But she kind of helped me a lot. I mean, matured a lot there. Um, and, uh, you know, at that point, I probably would have been the first one off the ship going to the bar. So, um, <laughs> hence Daytona, spring hence Daytona break, spring yeah. break. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so that helped a lot there and kind of got me on the path I wanted to be on. I got to my first ship and I was planning at this point, I was going to do like six years and be out my, my original term. And that first ship, I came home one day. And I never think of myself as like an empathetic type person, but apparently I do absorb some of that. And it was a very miserable ship. I mean, oh. divorce rate was like 75%. They oh, were always wow. gone. Yeah. People were just miserable. And I come home one day, and my wife's like, why are you so unhappy? Mm. It's like, you're a happy person. Mm. And I started thinking about it. We talked about it. And it's, it's, it's a ship. Yeah. Everyone there is miserable. So I re-enlisted to get off, ended up going to a pre-commissioning unit. And, and then I was like, well, that was kind of fun. Um, what do I do next? Um, I guess I can go do an, you know, an instructor tour. Yeah. Did that. Hated both my short tours in the Navy. I hated both of them. <laughs> I loved it because I could be with family, but I hated it. I'll, I'll talk to you about the other yeah. one in a second. Um, went as an instructor tour. Got to that point. I was getting up to where I was about, well, that's all about seven, eight years in and kind of getting promoted. Um, got back to another ship. Um, that was up there. Not times when my son was born. Went to another ship. There was another pre-com and really started to, things just started clicking for me. I just happened to work for the right people. Mm. Got qualified quickly. This would have been the, um, the time when I was like, well, okay, I got to decide what I'm going to do. Boom, I made chief pretty yeah. early in the career. And I was like, well, okay, I'm in now. So chief, just for those that are not familiar, yep. that's what, what, le- what does that so mean? So E7, so yeah. basically you go all the way up to E9. Yeah. Um, E7 is at that point in the Navy, you're, you're, you have your own like place you eat, your own yeah. And you wear a different uniform at the time. Now I think yeah. that's a little different, but and there's like a whole ceremony, and a whole ceremony, protocol, like a whole oh, yeah. thing that goes with that. Little, right? little not, I won't call it hazing. A little ceremony, you know, a little stuff yeah. into behind it, and yeah, you earn yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a whole yeah, whole pitting ceremony. Yeah. Um. So then I was in there. I was the chief for a couple of years on the ship, and I was like, <laughs> well, if I'm going to stay in, I started looking at retirements. Why wouldn't I go limited duty officer and get a higher retirement when I retire? Mm-hmm. Um. 
even though knowing it's going to be a lot more sea time now all of a sudden, yeah. which I was okay with. Again, I like going to sea. I just hate yeah. being away from the family. Yeah. Um, and the LDO program within the Navy is like, you're not required to have a degree to no, go into that. So you not. can become an officer essentially with all of this enlisted time behind you and, and basically kind of open up a different kind of career. Yeah. Path, you basically, right? the, the purpose of that in warrant officer, you're basically a bridge between the regular officers and the enlisted. You know, mm-hmm. you still kind of remember where you came from and it just helps. Yeah. And you're a technical expert. You're, yeah. you're, uh, you know, my first job was, they were all technical related. So, yeah. um, you know, I wasn't going to go, most LDLs don't go and drive ships. I ended up doing that some, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but it was very unique. So, so I'm on there, I get commissioned, uh, you know, and, and, um, we're getting ready to go to Guam and my wife's pregnant with our third kid, um, at the time. And she had had a couple of incidents where she lost a few in between and always high risk pregnancies. And, yeah. and because of that, they recruit, we were, I mean, they had come and packed up our stuff. It was boxed up, ready to go to Guam. <laughs> and we, we had finally, you know, acclimated our brain to going to Guam and, and the, the detailer from DC called and said, Hey, you know, I just found out your, your wife's pregnant high risk and uh, we, we can't send you to Guam because if anything happened, they'd have to fly to Japan. And that's like a five hour flight. Yeah. And I'm like, well, okay. And I talked to my wife and I called him back and, you know, we understand the needs of the Navy. I'm in the military. If I have to go and she comes after, that's what we got to do. And goes, you know, just because you volunteered to do that, I'll give you a pick of ships right there. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, uh, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> really? Really? I'm like, I thought I was and on the next plane. everyone should know that's not like a super common occurrence no, it, no. in any branch of the military. No, no not at all. Um, and uh, so I ended up going right back to the ship I had, had helped build before, the George Washington, and of course, I knew that ship really well mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, after spending four years, you know, helping build it and, yeah. and designing and all that. And uh, again, just to click, I mean, qualifications were easy for me. I go to the bridge, um, I get qualified off to the deck on a carrier, which is just an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of neat. Uh, here I am an ensign, the lowest officer you can be technically. And I'm telling, you know, People five grade senior me know we can't do that because I have that authority on the bridge. Yeah. Like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, Get a little power trip going there. Nick. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, but always, you know. But again, I, the, the the thing that's helped me survive that is is I studied so well and I knew the stuff so well that most of the time I was making the right decision. Yeah. And if I didn't, I was well enough to say, "Hold on, let me think about. It. Let me go ask someone." Right. You know, I, I see a lot of people in the military that really struggle with, uh, as us veterans, and I think I talked about this on, on the last panel I was on, um, you know, we, we try to go at it all on our own and not ask for help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need to ask for help. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, and you're, you're exercising sound judgment when you do yes. that. That's really what you're asking for is, am I the expert to answer this? Do I know? Yes, I do. Here's my answer. Or my judgment is I need to go consult. Right. And and that's where I think we we lose that a little bit with military. And, and I, I currently today teach a lot of military members, and I see that a lot, is I have to be able to figure out the answer. No, you don't. You have to be able to figure out how to find yeah. the answer. Huge difference. Yeah, we, we see it as a weakness. I mean, yeah. and and even even where my PTSD comes from, um, from my experiences, you know, I was on that ship as an officer, and we respond to an airline crash. Yeah. And we get back in, and I probably need to go talk to someone. They offered, of course, they usually hear. Sure. But, you know, I'm tough. I'm not. I'm just going to go and watch. I don't want to impact Shut anyone else. Shut it down. Shut it down. Keep going. And it took me about five years to process all that. And, and I mean, I'm losing sleep. I didn't even know why. And I was upset and angry at people. I didn't know why. And almost, almost you know, ruined my marriage because of it. Right. Just because I was like, I don't love anyone, even myself. Yeah. 
And and finally it just clicked why it's happening. And I started having memories of it and it's like, oh, that's why. Mm. But again, not asking for help at first. I mean, for five years. Yeah. And uh, it's tough. Yeah. You did go get help eventually, right? I did. I did. And actually I found that just talking about it was the biggest help of all. Yeah. I mean, just talking about the experience and, mm-hmm. um, and there's so much help out there. There, there is, is so much help out there. It's just being yeah. willing to use it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. All right. So you have had this great military career. You come home to Iowa. You sit on the couch after you spend a little time with the nuke for a while. You open a business. You're moving forward. Um, But you also um, recently, I want to touch on this. I, I just got an eye roll, y'all. This He's so humble. <laughs> so last week, I missed it. I was super mad to miss it, but I got sick. But Nick got a pretty cool award. So tell us about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my phone rings about, I don't know, four or five months ago, and it was the SBA. Yeah. And small like, business small administration. Small business administration. I'm like, <laughs> oh, what did I do wrong? Oh, what am I in trouble for? They're like, are my, do I really got to pay back those PPP loans for our business? I mean, what did I do oh, wrong? Oh, man. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'll answer it. And it was Joe Eckert here in Cedar Rapids. And, and they were like, uh, we'd like to, to, to award you the veteran owned business owner for the state of Iowa for the SBA. For, they have this big thing they do this last week for Veterans Week. And I'm like, well, wow, okay. Well, I mean, my first thought's like, why me? Sure. You know, don't you want to call my partner Joy? I mean, you know, she's our partner too. And yeah. and um, it's like, well, we're, you know, Cedar Rapids, someone nominated you. I'm like, okay. Um, so we went through the process, you know, had people come to the ceremony and it was nice. It was, um, you know, the, the biggest thing I like, and you talked about earlier, like, you know, you, you see people paying for like, re- or even the reason we started recruiting. I mean, I went right. to Dwayne Arnold and and I left with a couple of job offers. I didn't negotiate my salary. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to move back home. Yeah. And they're like, well, you don't want to negotiate? I'm like, I'm from here. They're like, oh, we didn't know that. I'm like, how do you as an HR person not know that someone you're recruiting is from here? Yeah. Do your homework. People. Yeah, do your homework. I mean, <laughs> you would think, right? And uh, it's like, you know, you think they'd ask like, why do you want to come to Iowa? Yeah. Um, you know, we ask I a lot of people I think they're afraid to ask. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, so, so, you know, that, that whole part of it and the headhunters and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and even the recruiting side now, it's like, if you're, if you're a veteran, if you're anyone in general, but if you're, mm-hmm. especially if you're a veteran and, and you want some help, like, Hey, will you look at my resume? And I, I always cringe when I say this cause I all of a sudden I know I'll get like 50 of my emails sure. and it's like, all right, I'll look at them all. I'll make yeah. time. Um, and while I'm not a professional resume recruiting, recruiting service, I don't honestly believe wholeheartedly in some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's hard when you come out of the military to transfer skills over, mm-hmm. but it's something I researched on my own, learned on my own, and I'd rather share that with someone for free mm-hmm. and help them out. I mean, it, it, it's sad that you have to pay money to find a job. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when you get to executive level, it's a little different just because yeah. if you, especially if it's you know, relatable experience, but you know, it's always, I'd, I'd rather help another vendor or, or like some of the events we've gone to, you and I mm-hmm. both gone to, I'd, you know, if I, I'll give you free advice all day long. A lot of my experiences with my other company starting up, I mean, there's a lot of lessons learned there, yeah. unfortunately, or even my dad's experience or even my time in the military. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I'd much rather, you know, help someone and, and you know, do I mean that I'm going to give you like, you know, 20 hours of free labor? Well, no. But I'm going to help you, or I might point you in the direction of someone that can help you without someone's going to say, hey, five grand, you know, I'll write a resume for you. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, my experience when I was coming out was um, <clears throat> I I hired a recruiter, but I didn't pay them. 
they were somebody yeah. that was working for the organizations. At the time, it was the Lucas Group. If you were a near your end of contract officer in the early 2000s, you were going to get a letter from the Lucas Group. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. That was just they. That was who they were. Yep. And I know I spoke with them, and they, you know, they took me on. They sent me to a job fair, you know, they that they sponsored with all of their partner companies and all that. And that's how I ended up in Iowa. And I do remember when I was being recruited to come out here. I mean, I, I went to work for Alliant Energy and, you know, say what you want about Alliant, but they did a great job bringing me in and convincing me that Iowa was a place that I wanted to right. try. You know, I mean, they really they hooked me up with a local community ambassador that showed me around town, took me house hunting um, you know, talked to me about all the different opportunities for, you know, social engagement, all the things. And it was, they did a really good job with it because I was someone that was like, this company looks great, but it's in freaking Iowa, man. Like why? I'm from California. I've Idaho, spent, Iowa? Yeah. Like I've spent most of my life on the East coast, you know, military wise. Why on earth would I want to move to Iowa? That's not near an ocean anywhere. No. Like, come on. About as far people, away from an ocean know? as you can yeah. get. Yeah. And so it was a tough sell for me initially. But when I got here and I, you know, I was just like, I could live here. I mean, and I, I moved here giving it six months. Well, that was back in 2004. So we all know how that worked out. Yes. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, it can, you know, I think that whole recruiting experience and the idea that we can be of service without charging someone, I think what you said makes a lot of sense with, it's not that I can up, you know, um, uh, throw the rest of my life away to help you for this entire week. But hey, let's set up an hour of time. I'll review your resume. I'll give you some feedback and I'll point you in a couple of directions. Yep. I'm happy to do that all day long for people. Yeah. And um, that's part of the reason that I volunteer with places like the Honor Foundation and Bunker Labs, because those are opportunities for me to help other veterans pursue what they want to pursue yeah. you know and it's it is about giving back and it's not just veterans i mean pretty much anybody that's like hey would you have a right. conversation with right. me i'm like yeah of course let's, of talk, course. You let's know? talk you know and i think you and i are very similar in that yeah. way so i i've always appreciated that about you oh, so you. yeah so i'm curious like the really the last thing i want to ask from you is if you know you today and, and Jessica Abdeni actually at Nuboco asked this question yesterday at one million cups and i thought it was so great you know, if you were going to give advice to your teenage self oh, wow. <laughs> based on what you know now, what would that advice be? And and you can even think about it like if you were going to give advice to somebody that's in high school today, if you want to make that even a little bit. Wow, where to start? <laughs> connect um, that, you know. Where to start? Um, probably, you know, everyone says you got to figure out who you are. Yeah. But I think people change. Yeah. But I think the key, and and I love a friend of mine, Al, that does it, uh, the leader of Believer Achiever here is, is what he works with young kids is, what's your purpose? Yeah. And boy, I could tell you in high school, I had no idea what my purpose was. You and me both. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of kids won't. Right. But but if you keep in mind what your purpose is, and as you get older and you change and things change, it's okay to change that purpose. Mm-hmm. But it should at least be somewhere in the same realm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a very strong proponent of if you need to pivot, pivot. Yeah. Um, but if your purpose, and it can be something as simple as, you know, I just want to um, be happy and, and treat people with respect. Mm-hmm. Great purpose. Um, but you at least have to have some kind of guideline. You know, I, I, we always laugh in the military, right? You have to have goals. They have to be smart. They got to 
you know, mm-hmm. you got short term, long term. Let's over architect your life. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, I did nuclear power. Trust me, if there was over architectualizing, it was there. And, um, you know, so, so, well, yes, you have this purpose to keep it somewhat simple. I mean, yeah. And, and, and keep it in reality too. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these poor kids uh, that we've worked with, I mean, there's lack of hope. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it with adults now too. Yeah. And, and I think we see a lot of people in the military, and here's where I say you got to pivot. So when we get out of the military, and this is especially true of veterans, you lose your purpose, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you need to get out with a purpose in mind already mm-hmm. because otherwise you do. And, and well, I saw it even with, with – with, you see it with pro athletes too. Their career's over. What do they do? Yeah. And some of them do well. They find other things like broadcasting or whatever, coaching, and some get lost. Yeah. And it's, you know, and you see it with all kinds of professions. I mean, yeah. um, and, and I think that, that you at least got that, if you're at least aware of your purpose and you know, it's going to change and you can create a new purpose, Yeah. but don't get stuck in that gap where you've lost your purpose completely. Yeah. And, and I think I know in, in high school, I can, I know exactly when it happened. It's when I started drinking and, mm-hmm. and I already knew I was going, I mean, I depth early, so yeah. delayed entry early. So I already knew I was going. Mm-hmm. So like my whole senior year, the grades are slipping and, and I just seem not to care as much about it, and, sure. which is kind of a shame because yeah. I mean, and, um, yeah, I, I would just that, you know, yeah. I, there's so many things you hear people say, like be resilient. Well, what does that mean? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Consistently bounce back. Yeah. How can okay. I tell you to be resilient when I don't know what you've been through? I mean, right. Um, yeah. and, and we see that a lot in our culture world too. A lot of people see things from their own lens and mm-hmm. expect everyone else to do it too. And yeah. it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. I heard someone say one time, and I, I'm not going to say it a hundred percent correctly, but something about passion is the thing that drives you and purpose is about the impact that you make. Yeah. And I thought that was a really, really interesting distinction. I may have even shared it on this podcast before, but it was, it came out of Jay Shetty. I don't know if you follow him at all, but Jay Shetty on the Calm um, app, I'm pretty sure is where I heard it, or maybe on his podcast. I don't know if it matters, but either way, he said it. And it was something to that effect. And that made sense to me because I think when I look back at my high school years and I track that all the way forward, I've always been someone who wants to support the people in front. I've never really wanted to be the one in front. I've always wanted to be the one that helps the one in front be amazing. Like one of my best girlfriends was head cheerleader. I loved helping her be head cheerleader, you know, like that was, I had no, I didn't never wanted to be head cheerleader. That was not anything I ever desired, you know, but to be able to, you know, if I track that back, I see it now, but to your point in the moment, I had no idea why I enjoyed that role or what impact that could have in the world. And so now, you know, working as a coach and a learning development professional and a mentor and all these things that I get to do today, it's like that tracks that and I'm clear on it now. But yeah, I think there is, you know, to get to that clarity as a high schooler, that's a lot to ask. Well, it's it's, it's such a unique feeling, too, because like when you think about those skill sets that that we share and you think about success in the military, it's kind of almost counterintuitive to do it that way. Yeah. But yet my big success to this day, I feel in the military was that everyone that worked for me. Yeah. I help them get to be my level. And now mm-hmm. my biggest struggle early on was I expect them to work as hard as I did at it. Oh my God. We're, we're like the tough. same person. In it's that. tough. And yes. once I, once yeah. I, once I got away and I had yeah. a big learning experience on that one, but yeah. once, once I got past that, it was yeah. like, how can I help you at what, who you are, you know, meet mm-hmm. someone where they're at to get to where you want to go. Yeah. And if we're, and you know, then you get the one kid that told me, oh, and you know, the Navy needs people like me. I'm a brown noser. I'm like, yeah. okay, well, 
Sadly, you're probably right, but <laughs> I don't want that. So, yeah. um, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, I mean, if you, if, if, if you took a snapshot of me in the Navy and saw, and I had, I mean, I did, I feel like I had a lot of success in the Navy. Um, uh, you wouldn't have guessed it. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't have. I mean, early on, I mean, you wouldn't have guessed it. I mean, I, like I said, I wasn't those crispest uniforms, shiniest shoes. Yeah. Um, had issues with the te- you know being there on time early on in my career, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and sometimes being a little too honest with people that I shouldn't you know working mm-hmm. that I was working for early on, <laughs> tell them what I thought of them and and uh, yeah. you know but I was never the one to play the what they would call it, the political game in the military and uh, I just got lucky also I think that I worked for some great people that were yeah. okay with that. Yeah. I think, you know, the the final thought on that is just I think you have been so fortunate by choice and by by circumstance to be to fall in with some pretty amazing people, starting with your family all the way through to your current business partners. So I applaud you for making some pretty solid choices around that. Thank you. (laughs) So thanks, Nick, for coming on today. I super, super appreciate it. I know that as with so many conversations I have, we could sit here and talk for hours because I know that there's so much more. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll have to do a round two at some point in the future. But I appreciate it, Nick. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Dangerous Leader. If you liked what you heard, have comments or suggestions, please like and follow the show and leave us a comment. I would truly love and welcome your feedback. Now, you can find a list of different things that we discuss to include a link to all of Nick's info and additional commentary, not only in the show notes for this show, but also at DangerousLeader.com. I'd also love for you to connect with me on Instagram at DangerousLeaderGroup. Now, before we sign off, I need to give credit to the amazing team at LAS Media Network who produce and distribute this show from right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. If you want ad-free episodes of The Dangerous Leader, bonus content, and much more, then consider subscribing to LAS Plus. All you've got to do is go to lasmedianetwork.com slash plus to get started. And always remember to lead dangerously be you.